Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is Secret Agent Men, Episode 8, Quantum of Solace. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips, who is hoarse from screaming his little lungs out at Carly Rae Jepsen. How are you, Benjamin? I'm good. I I knew all the words. It was fun. She did her new song that came out, like, yesterday. Did you know all the words to that? Uh, I knew the chorus. Ah, She's a very easy chorus person to sing along to. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you want to just talk about that for an hour instead of Quantum of Solace? How Carly Rae Jepsen should be doing the song for No Time to Die. Okay. Actually, no, I like Billie Eilish. I'm sure the song's going to be good. I, I'm going to be interested to hear it. So, yes, Quantum of Solace, released October 2008, so two years after Casino Royale. Uh, enough time to react to The Bourne Ultimatum, and uh, the second unit director worked on both The Bourne Supremacy and The Bourne Ultimatum, so I don't think I am just being paranoid that they were copying it. I think they literally had the dude that made those or, or parts of them and the guy who did the action sequences for born supremacy and born ultimatum yeah presumably yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, was he second unit director on them or was he like, i don't in know a if he different... was second unit director on them i just know he worked on them i would presume he was part of the second unit if he didn't direct it but yeah they went and got that dude and that's why this movie feels a bit borny i would say which is good for our podcast where we compare and contrast these three franchises directed by mark Forster of Monsters Ball and Finding Neverland fame. Also Stranger Than Fiction, which I feel I like and no one else gives a single shit about. Written again by uh, Paul Haggis, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade. Haggis actually turned down the opportunity to direct this shit show of a film. Answering the question, could it have been worse? Quite succinctly there. It's an hour and 41 minutes long, which makes it half an hour shorter than Casino Royale and the shortest Bond movie, which is wild. I would think one of those older ones would be, you know, sub two hours, but no, not a single one of them. $230 million budget, a lot more than any of these Bourne films have gotten. Uh, $80 million more than Casino Royale, the most expensive Bond film at the time, but I believe No Time to Die has a budget of 250 How is this movie so expensive? Lots of countries, a wind tunnel... It's just crazy to think that like they don't start making a billion dollars until the next movie. This one makes a cool what five eight six five million? eight six yes, slightly down on Casino, but the fourth yeah. highest Bond movie at the time. So. Mm, that's just getting into like exchange rates being insane and all the yeah, rest of it. Yeah, if like, we go like... for straight numbers, second highest after Casino. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I I do know it ran like over schedule. Like a lot of the work took longer to do than was intended. Like they had to. I think they overran and overspent a lot and that's how it ended up costing so much but yeah i mean do we do we reckon like there's like <laughs> pages and pages of script that just didn't get adapted or like was the movie intended to be 106 minutes long the entire time i have no idea but yes that is certainly a key part of the legacy of this movie because while they were doing post-production on casino royale they greenlit a sequel they wanted to focus in on bond dealing with what happened with vespa which sounds good and is the best part of this film <laughs> however everything else roger Mitchell was in the running to direct. He'd had directed Daniel Craig in two other movies, I think, at this point. But he refused because there was no script and there was a set date. And he was like, I'm not working to a tight deadline with no script, sorry. And then Sony pushed the release date back, which allowed Purvis and Wade to finish their draft. And Haggis did polish again. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is here where those two bang out the script and then he comes in and is like, I'll fix this for you, me, writer of Crash. But yeah, instead Forster got the job. He said he wasn't a Bond fan. He wouldn't have done it if he hadn't seen Casino Royale, which changed his mind. He made this, I actually think, quite a good point that a lot of the appeal of Bond over the years was like, ooh, exotic foreign travel. And now that's not really as much of a pull as it used to be. So he was like, well, we have to fo- we have to make James Bond a human being. Otherwise, what is there here? 
and he wanted to make it tight and fast sequel, I feel it achieves neither of those things. It somehow inexplicably feels longer than Casino Royale. It really does. Um, I will I will say, of the three things you said then, it is definitely a sequel. It is a sequel, sorry. Yes, it is an unprecedented level of sequel for a Bond movie. So when Forster came aboard, they rewrote the film, and Haggis turned in his script two hours before the start of the writer's strike, which meant that... Forster and Craig had to rewrite on set because they are not members of the Writers Guild. A director and an actor are allowed to run through their script and talk about it, so that's technically what had to happen. Craig hated it, was like, I will never make a film again that doesn't have a firm script. I am not a writer. (laughs) And Jeffrey Wright, his role, dramatically shrunk during these rewrites, which explains a lot, because it's like, you got him back, but he kind of does fuck all here. Yeah, he has less to do than the last movie. He sits there looking a bit menacing and, like, he wants to talk but can't. And it's like, okay, right, I get it now. Fun fact, this movie is measurably the most violent Bond film with 250 violent acts, which is by far the most. Which is crazy because one of Timothy Dalton's was basically Scarface but but with Bond in it. For comparison, Doctor No had 109 violent acts. So I mean, there is a point in this movie where it does become, like, James Bond shoots everyone employed by this organisation. Yeah. And Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Cuaron have cameos in the movie because Forster has famous friends, apparently. We've never talked about either of those two directors and we'll never talk about either of them ever again. No, definitely not. <laughs> Al Pacino at one point was rumoured to be in the movie somewhere in a Blofeld-esque role, but it never materialised. So, yeah, the writer's strike had a massive impact. You can see it on the screen. It is a really just kind of all-over-the-place movie, which we will have the distinct pleasure of talking about for the next 40 minutes or so. Our agent this time around is, of course, James Bond. Daniel Craig is the only consistently good part of this film. He is really going for it with the alcoholism, the cry for help, the depression over Vespa. Like, I do like that they make his alcoholism seem more like a, oh god, please help me, and not a, like, ah, oh, look at him. He's not an alcoholic. He's a, just a playboy sex symbol. He can handle his liquor. And... Yeah, like the scene on the tr- on the plane where they're just like, yeah. oh, he's had six of these drinks that are three shots of, or three parts gin, one part <laughs> vodka. And... By himself, just sitting there, not schmoozing any ladies, not telling any stories. He's just sitting there, just getting very drunk. So I appreciate that because, you know, we've talked about the history of Bond is deeply rooted in misogyny and like, you know, the womanizing and the drinking and everything. And like, they are doing their best, I suppose, to bring him into the 21st century and like, try and view him through that lens of like, okay, but if someone actually did behave like this, they'd be kind of fucked up. And that's what they're going for. And as I said, I think it is the one of the few parts of this movie that actually works. Yeah, like, no, no, no matter what I have to say about this movie, I think Daniel Craig is really good in it. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he is He's consistently a, a presence on screen that is kind of magnetic. And I think one of the big shortfalls of the movie is, as far as I'm aware, this is one of the biggest kind of subplots that they give to a Bond girl. Mm-hmm. Like, she has legit scenes that are away from... James Bond is like a controlling force in it. And... Yeah, I was thinking it's wild to have scenes happening that neither Bond nor M are in. You know, like yeah. that, that's kind of a rarity. Like, I guess you cut away to the villains sometimes, but like there are a lot of scenes in this film that don't have Bond or M in them, and it's it's yeah. It's strange. Not to say that it's a bad idea, but it does feel like it's such a strange thing for Olga Kurilenko to, like, be carrying, not a third of the movie, but, like, she's carrying a chunk of this film. Like, I mean, and, like, they obviously do, like, the stuff where she's talking to... Green. Where she's talking to Green and kind of, like, Bond's looking at them through a telescope or whatever. And, mm. and like, he's aware of the conversations that are going on. Yeah. But for a good, like, ten-minute chunk of the movie, they are the driving forces of what the plot is. Yeah. And Bond is kind of not doing anything and when he is far and away the best part of the movie it does kind of go like get back to the the guy who's actually got like an emotional through line rather than this person who you're somehow trying to very sketchily introduce like her vendetta is against the B villain who even calling him a B villain is like a stretch yeah and I think both of those aspects are kind of paper thin as well so it's like either go all in on that or don't do it 
almost. Mm. Uh, but then I'd probably complain that she has even less to do, so who knows. Um, it's a shame we're not doing How Did He Survive for the Bond franchise, because Daniel Craig <laughs> lost a fingertip and needed plastic surgery uh, after getting a big old cut on his face, so yeah. I assume it was like the scene involving all the glass and then being on like a construction site, or... I don't know, because all of that glass seems incredibly CG'd to me. I mean, yeah, Maybe watching, it I remember, wasn't I on one that. of the takes, and that's why it is now. <laughs> yeah, I remember that shot of them falling through the kind of glass ceiling in all the trailers and watching it this time and I, I, I only had a DVD copy so I'm like watching it and it's like oh god this looks awful it's in- really ugly <laughs> they do it a lot I'll probably mention it every time it comes up but yeah the CG in this movie is bad the mission the movie that costs 230 million dollars <laughs> well yes Iron Man came out this year and you can tell <laughs> so Bond's mission which he always accepts there's no if you choose to accept it so following an attempt on M's life Bond finds himself on the trail of Dominic Green and a secret organisation called Quantum uh, which Mr White works for and that's what was happening in Casino Royale uh, and, and it's definitely not an organisation because they didn't have the rights <laughs> to the other organisation that's famous in James Bond indeed they are aiding a military coup in exchange for land that's we've gone from stock options to land grabs so you know they're, they're slowly working their way up the evil hierarchy let's do it then so Bond escorts the captured Mr White to an Italian MI6 facility where M's team interrogate him but then he is very we're everywhere and that turns out to be literally true as one of M's bodyguards tries to kill her and Bond chases the dude down and kills him and then when he comes back everybody's gone and it's like Oh, we'll start in sequence of the car chase. Pretty good. Yeah, like this movie starts. I'm like, oh, maybe I'm like underrating how this movie is because this is a fun car chase that feels different to what Bourne's doing. It's shot in a very similar way, obviously, but yeah. like it's on more exciting locations than than one Bourne does some of its stuff. Like those like high roads in Switzerland and whatnot are incredibly fun. Is it, no, it's not Switzerland. It's, it's Italy. Italy. Yeah, yeah, it's Italy. Um, and like stuff like the door coming off, and there's that that fun part of like the vehicle just getting increasingly fucked up. <laughs> yeah. And then knowing who's in the boot afterwards, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> this was very dangerous. It just feels good. I'm like, oh, cool, this movie, like, maybe I've, like, thought badly of this movie over the years, and I'm actually wrong, and it's not going to be a kind of mess with no driving plot, and, like, the action scenes will be able to, like, bolster it into being something more interesting. And then the opening credits, I'm just like, oh, no, I remember now. We're back to Naked Ladies in the credits. Um, I, As I said to you, I think this film basically, it sandwiches its rare good moments between bad stuff. So you're like, okay, this is bad, this is bad. Oh, something good is happening. Oh, wait, bad stuff's happening again. Because it's not like this entire film is completely devoid of quality. Like, there, there is some interesting stuff that, like, in a world where you have an actual team of writers working on it the whole time, maybe yeah, in, in a world massaged in a world- and something something good i don't know yeah in a world where you're allowed to rewrite your first draft (laughs) yep yeah so they're talking over mr white and there is this mention that you know we remember in casino royale bond agreed the americans would get to bring in le chiffre but they would get the money i I don't even remember but yeah because le chiffre is dead m makes mention like you know the americans are going to be pissed off basically and that potentially is supposed to inform why David Harbour is doing all the things he's doing. We'll see. There is also mention of Vesper's boyfriend uh, washing up conveniently unidentifiable, but with his wallet and passport in his pocket. And it's like, oh, that's convenient. Isn't it just? <laughs> but then they do a deal. We're not, not going to check dental records or anything like that. We're just going to say, <laughs> yep, this is definitely... <laughs> yeah, but they do. They do some kind of DNA test on it, and it's not him. And Bond says he's not important, and neither was she while drinking. And then when M looks away, he like swipes a piece of... Of evidence or something on it that will come back later and so just really just straight away going for it and like picking up from it's done the bitch is dead and all that to like he's not important neither is she it's like i don't think anyone in the room believes any of what he's saying but he still feels the need to say things like that until he himself believes it maybe i don't know i really like mr white saying we're on you know like, we're on the other side and we're worried that MI6 and the CIA are going to catch us or whatever, and you don't even know we exist. Like, it's a good little piece of, I don't know, like, pulling the curtain back and, like, you don't really see bad guys saying things like that. We're worried you're going to catch us or whatever, but but he's doing it from a position of power still, of, like, oh, you know nothing, you idiots. And we get more of the sort of parkour, <laughs> painful looking, as Bond is, like, slamming into walls and stuff to brace himself. But, yeah, the shot of them, like, falling through the ceiling and 
all the glass. The CGI just looks ugly. And I think the conclusion to this little sequence is really unsatisfying as well. Like, the whole time he was doing this, I'm like, why are you chasing this guy so hard when surely Mr. White is the priority? Like, I understand a guy that has been embedded next to M for all this time and just tried to kill M. He would want to go and get him, but it's like... Do you want want to know what would be fun? What? If it was played by a resistant from Casino Royale. Well, Tobias Menzies. If Tobias Menzies played this character, and, like... I, don't, I would it, question it. <laughs> sure, but it gives you more of, like, a, a reason to, like, give a shit about, like, why he chases him down, because yeah. it is someone that Bond's had a conversation with. Yeah. It is someone who the audience is kind of, like, vaguely visually aware of. It gives you a reason to have, for some reason, replaced... Tobias Menzies with Rory Kinnear in between movies, despite the fact that this is set like literal days after the end of Casino Royale. I mean, I'm not saying it, it's again, it's very similar to like it's a movie you're allowed to do these kind of things, but as a as an audience, doing that kind of thing where it is someone that is visually recognizable as someone who we're supposed to give a shit about rather than yeah. a guy who's introduced in one scene and we're just like, oh, he's been in my service for X many years and oh, this is something I deeply care about. It's like, right, but we as the audience just have to kind of go along with it but i still i just feel it the action scene as well isn't that good like they're just struggling around and then he just gets to his gun first and shoots him first and we see a close-up of his face as he does it and then he just comes back and everyone's gone and it's like oh okay (laughs) yeah like after the opening like fight scenes and action scenes in casino royale are so good and they've hired Mm. and they're these big expansive things that are obviously filmed on location and it goes to they're just kind of like tumbling up and down some scaffolding so following some financial forensics yeah that's right we're going line of duty on this bond tracks mr slate to Port-au-Prince, Haiti. It's all very, like, all over the place, so so is my description. Assuming his identity, he meets Camille, who Slate was supposed to kill, and then he follows her. He witnesses a deal between Dominic Green, our villain, and an exiled Bolivian general over control of a piece of desert. So, as you said, M mentions how this dude was working for MI6 for eight years, five of them as her personal bodyguard, and he had regular lie detector tests, and psych tests and all that sort of stuff it's it's all gotten very hydra is it sort of implied that like he had money issues and this is maybe slightly recent or am i reading too much on to potentially like yeah. he had nothing in his bank account and i don't know if it feels like kind of forced into doing this in a he similar had... way vesper has a boyfriend who disappears and mm. it's like they don't actually have them in their employ yeah they target but... financially vulnerable people like it's a recurring thing in sort of cop based fbi based stuff where it's like you have to declare if you are financially vulnerable because it makes you a target for like the mob to blackmail you and bribe you and stuff so he's got like less than a hundred pounds less than a hundred euros and less than a hundred dollars in his account but there's something weird going on with the notes and yeah all of them can be traced to port-au-prince haiti and this mr slate and it's all like I don't even know, but like... And then we start this thing where the movie keeps on going to countries that is weirdly exoticized. Yes, they are. Like, every every country in this movie, like apart from when they're in, like, Italy, is mm. like, oh, this is a country that's kind of got some economic turmoil. I understand it goes along with what they're going for. Yeah. But it does feel like, especially in comparison to the last movie, where they're all in these, like, rich locations and mm. there's lots of money floating around to go to this kind of, like... Economically ravaged places, yes. <laughs> But I guess that kind of fits with Green's... Like, he says, like, look at what blah 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 did to this country, or or I don't know. But before they go there, though, a recurring thing in this movie is the sort of Iron Man holographic computer shit. (laughs) The voice-activated stuff, the table, the, like, you know, put this up and, like, drag this over here. And it's like, did they literally just see the trailers for Iron Man and go, yeah, we want to do that? (laughs) I, I don't know. It feels like Minority Report was, like, the first big thing to do that, like... True. Like, way of presenting information in a visually clean method that also, like, shows you how good the tech is. True. And it feels like a lot of people are, like, trying to copy that and... But I don't think this is then in in, uh, Skyfall. Like, I remember Q, like, frantically tapping away at his computer and maybe there's a bit of a holographic element there, but it's not to this kind of degree where, like... No, this is In in M's home, she has Jarvis, basically, where she's, like, voice activating everything in her house. (laughs) I don't know. It's just a thing that Hollywood does and it's like... Like, we need to have the exposition look interesting, but also 
So Bond goes to Haiti. He kills Mr. Slate after M has already been furious at Bond for him killing this bodyguard and it will be her plotline for this movie is Bond keeps killing people instead of bringing in witnesses. He's a loose cannon. He needs to be controlled, whatever. And it's this whole, maybe I'm just stupid and wasn't paying enough attention because this movie isn't that engaging, but like the whole deal of like who Slate is in comparison, uh, like in relation to this bodyguard, in relation to Camille, in relation to Green, like it's all very all over. Like he's getting the briefcase that has her picture in it and he's supposed to kill her, but then she's picking up someone who's supposed to be a geologist, but then is that just the lie that Green has told her and it was supposed to be Slate who was going to kill her? Like, I don't know. It's just, what the fuck is going on? Who is she? Isn't it it like the the money that they found for Slate was money that was from the Casino Royale and they were tracing... Maybe. They were like, because they like put traces on that money and so that Uh, is the money stolen from them, which is why they know where they are. Yeah, but more just like, what is who? Why is Camille showing up here? Like, what is she expecting from this? And then, like, the reveal that she slept with Green or was his girlfriend or something, and then he tried to have her killed, and then like showing her this body that is under the water, and like, are we supposed to know who that is? And it's all just so we wrote this really quickly. <laughs> Yeah, like this this movie feels like every single dialogue scene that isn't kind of directly Bond dealing with PTSD, depression, and alcoholism. Just kind of like, well, we need some kind of excuse to get to the next action set piece. So yeah. here's five minutes of dialogue, and then we'll run. Not even five minutes, like 30 seconds of dialogue, and then we'll rush on to the next action set piece because there's so much action in this movie. Yeah. And none of it lands. No, really. not really. You get this extended sequence of Green, who, like, we know he's the villain, but, like, he begged to have some kind of weird distinguishing physical feature, like a lot of Bond villains do, and they turned him down, and they went, no, it's a better story if you're just, like, you know, the modern face of, of evil or whatever is just a normal-looking person. But, like, I don't know, he doesn't come across as... I mean, he's obviously bad, but he comes across more like middle management. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, And I guess he time. technically is, but for this movie, like, he, it doesn't strike you as, ah, here's our big grand villain. And he's just talking to her for, like, what seems like ten straight minutes and just sort of trading exposition that doesn't quite make sense with her and then this general who is just a cardboard cutout of a character. And, like, yeah, the whole thing. And then Bond just watching them, it's all just very... Come on, let's pick it up. Let's make yeah, it snappier. Like, of, of the four villains that like we've had the opportunity to see, two are really good. Mm. One I've not actually experienced, but I assume it's Christoph Waltz doing his Christoph Waltziest stuff. Uh, yeah, and then he's pretty good. And then this is just kind of a man sleepwalking through a performance. It's just like, nothing. It's Elon Musk. Like, <laughs> I don't want to talk about Elon Musk. Yeah, like, he, it's a weird one. Like, as you said to me, that, like, in some ways they feel like they're ahead of the curve with this environmentalism story. But then, what are you trying to say? Because, I mean, maybe the dude is full of shit, and I think that's what they're going for, of, like... This is someone that has spot something that is like something that is exploitable because it yes. is such a pressing concern. Yeah. But it's someone who's just like, I can make money from this as opposed to someone yes. who legitimately cares about the environment. Yeah. Which... Like food chains that introduce vegan stuff because vegans on trend and energy companies that are like, oh, green energy, even though they are still just like ravaging the earth and Yeah, all like or or companies like Black History Month will will do our token effort to kind of do something about black history yeah. or we'll have the pride flag for one month and then pretend gay people don't exist again yeah i guess that is what they're going for but in some ways it it is unclear what the movie's stance on climate change and the environment is (laughs) yeah ultimately it would be more interesting if it was someone who did deeply care about the environment yeah and an Um, eco-terrorist yeah but i I feel like there have been movies that have done that recently Mm -hmm. but again you do it in a similar way to how like black panther deals with this villain where Mm. you have someone who deeply cares about the environment writes the villain character to do that kind of stuff but Mm -hmm. then they just take it too far or he's whatever. right but he's so ex- he's gotten so lost in how badly he wants it he's gone too far and yeah yeah and like 
I don't like. We're not trying to like completely change the movie, but it's just like his his. Welcome to our one-hour rewrite of Quantum of Solace. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have got ten years and an hour of kind of like focus setting to make this movie better, which is more yeah. than they had this like on set to fix it. Yeah. But because it's so unclear yeah. what the villain wants, yeah. other than money and to steal water, spoilers for for when that reveal happens, mm-hmm. it just kind of comes off across as like, okay, but I like there's no there's no emotional investment from this guy. It's completely yeah. different to to Le Chief, where even though Le Chief is kind of just after money as well, he at least we know he's like flat broke and trying to stop himself from dying. Like there is a personal <laughs> motivation to like what he's doing in that movie. Yeah. Le Chief was so like commanding and obviously a Bond villain and like it feels like Green is going it's just the prelude to the movie's actual villain. And like potentially once upon a time the general would have been the main villain back when these films were a little bit more campy and racist. Um, <laughs> the one who's not white. <laughs> yeah, basically. Where, like, Green is, like, the secondary henchman to this bigger general, but yeah. Um, and then Bond just flies in there to intervene purely to just save some random woman he was in a car with for two minutes. And he already knows who Dominic Green is, but then MI6 don't, because she's, like, Green, and he's like, Dominic Green? And it's, but then it's like, yeah, can you look up Dominic Green? It's like, there's hundreds of Dominic Greens, 007. And, ugh, it's just so messy. So Green makes a deal with the CIA to give America access to any oil found on the land he's acquiring in a pretty fun little dig at America here. And then Bond tracks Green's associate, following them to an opera in Austria, where a number of quantum members are conducting shady business deals in public. So David Harbour is here. <laughs> to what's his name is it bream beam greg beam greg beam not quite jim beam but yeah m calls the cia and is like oh do you have any interest in dominic green and they put her through to the sec the what is it the station chief for south america who immediately goes nope and then she's like well of course they have interest in him that i took 10 seconds to put me through and he said no immediately and then we cut straight to him and felix Leiter on a plane with dominic green making this deal to his credit green is very like oh i haven't even admitted there is any oil and like we later find out there isn't any oil so it's like, or if there is, it's very incidental and has nothing. I think the movie, the movie does really foreshadow the fact that there is no oil in this place. Like the general goes, like, "Why do you want this land? Many people have come here trying to find oil. There's no oil there." Yeah, um, because that's like what we're trained to believe. You know, people go to poor countries to take their oil, and like America especially do it. And like, I do actually genuinely quite like the idea that like they're just fucking with America without ever saying anything. Like. Oh, we have oil. Like they let them do all the work. They're like, yeah, like they're like, oh, we're we're buying this tract of land because there's something quite valuable there. America, like oil, oil, exactly. <laughs> and then like, there is no universe in which Harper's character doesn't just get f- horrifically fired. And I think he actually canonically he, he does, does and Lighter replaces him. Or yeah, there's a line at the end of the movie where they're just like, Felix Lighter's replaced him as the section chief or whatever, Yeah, and Beam's been demoted. I don't think he's been fired. Oh, it's okay. that kind of thing where you get, he's shuffled to a lesser position, like he's at a desk yeah. job. But like, putting in American chips on a bet that was an, a bluff, like, this would have been more appropriate in Casino Royale, potentially. Again, it's kind of a weird extended scene where you've got Felix just sitting there looking incredibly grumpy, and then just be like, yeah, I don't recognise him, and then Harbour it's like, oh, it's James Bond, it's British Secret Service. Like, how could I have missed that? And it's like, is, uh, is the subtext here? He knows it's him, but he wants to see if Felix will identify. Well, I think it's like, is is it supposed to be like, like Harbour is aware that Felix's last mission, presumably his last mission before he literally got translated to here, because again, yeah. it's only been a couple of weeks since Casino Royale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I guess, but then how many months between the hospital and Venice, and then how long between Venice and him capturing Mr. White? I, like, I mean, but maybe like... Maybe we okay, give them some benefit of the doubt there, but... It's been less than a year. Oh, like, right. maybe six months. Yeah. And so, like, you have to imagine that he literally got transplanted from Montenegro to South America. And so I presume Greg Beam, as any employer, would know what his last mission was. And I assume that he knows and he's just seeing where his loyalties lie because... Yeah, but the movie does nothing with it either way, which is the kind of annoying thing. Like, in a movie where David Harbour and uh, Jeffrey Wright have stuff to do, (laughs) there probably is a scene afterwards where Harbour goes up to him and goes, like, the fuck? Like, you literally just did a mission with this guy. What are you you playing at? 
And I guess it foreshadows him picking Bond over the CIA later, but, like, he already did it here, so it's not really a foreshadow as much as consistent behaviour. Like, we are trained to like Felix Leiter because, A, he is Felix Leiter, who has been in many Bond movies before this as an ally to Bond. Yes. Jeffrey Wright's a a babe. Yes. Um, (laughs) Looking real swallow in this film, like, sitting there in his, like, vests all, like broody i don't know i like it i also like you know M. she says if you could avoid killing every possible lead it would be appreciated and he's like i'll certainly try or something like that or i can't promise anything that's the stuff i'm liking about this movie is this kind of like the it's not subtle because they do keep on drawing attention to it but the subtext of why he's doing it is very much more subtle and yeah he's just angry and he wants to get back at these people and it's all for M. and and yet she's like stop it speaking of things that we like this fucking opera scene is yeah. dope as shit the whole there everywhere aspect i think is really really great of like because you know he he steals a, a tuxedo and he makes his way up there to monitor them and there's the earpieces and then just seeing him trying to identify who's talking and being just it's just a sea of faces and so many of them are talking and it's like oh shit this is huge paul haggis wanted this to be a scene at the un and it to uh, focus entirely on like hopping between radio frequencies. So guys, just break up with Paul Haggis. Just stop it. He's bad. Him like not being able to figure out what's going on. So he's just like, fuck it. I'll say something to them and see who runs. I think that's also a really good moment. And then he follows the people that are running. And Mr. White is there, of course. But then like they follow it up with this quite visually confusing and just kind of not great. They're, they're like intercutting between the opera performance and this foot chase shootout gets a guy to the top of a building and throws him off it, but he survives and then Quantum kill him, but then it looks like Bond killed him. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very similar to the scene earlier on in Italy with the... Uh, is it a running the bull? I don't know. I don't even... That Spain is running the bull. This is Italy. This is just... But like there's the oh, scene no, earlier on where like... They're, they're, oh yeah, horse racing, where they're running through the streets yeah. and it's being intercut with the, the fight scene and it feels like it's a visual quirk that Forster's trying to Yeah, he's like, put I'm onto the super movie. into this as a stylistic choice, and it's like, that's fine, but you've got to make both bits good. You can't just intercut potentially a good thing and a bad thing, and just be like, oh, look, huh, huh? Yeah, like, because like, it, it starts off interestingly enough, because you get the scene where Bond runs into Green downstairs, and then they run into the restaurant, and then, like, the first four or five gunshots are, like, completely silent, and it's yeah. just kind of people reacting, and then it starts intercutting it with the opera, and you're just kind of going like, this is sort of a visual soup of like what's going on i understand you're trying to do something more interesting with how james bond stages his action but mm. considering most of the action in this movie is done in the jason bourne kind of sketchy shaky cam fashion <laughs> yeah. it's very hard to get a visual geography on a lot of these locations and it's a genuine delight to know that like after this movie when, it, when we get to skyfall it's going to be roger deakins doing the dping and it's like oh god thank god it's someone who <laughs> can like hold a camera in place and just make an action scene look really pretty yeah M is still angry at bond for killing another lead so this time she freezes his money and his passports which forces him to go find Mathis and convince him to go with him to Bolivia. They go to Green's party, encounters Camille again, Mathis dies, Bond and Camille escape. How does he get to Mathis? I don't know, on a boat, which I guess he stole. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> the thing is, like, oh, I can't, get, I can't get there now. And then it just cuts to him, like, going to see Mathis. Like, yeah. And, like, sure. flirting with, like, an airport reception or a travel agent. I don't know what the technical Yeah, tell, tell her I went somewhere else. Tell her I went to Cairo, would you? And she's like, of course. And then in a completely different accent, like, oh, hello. Yeah, I do, I kind of like Mathis coming back. Like, this is the thing. The legacy of Quantum of Solace, and for me, Spectre, but apparently everyone else likes it, is they're so overall plot reliant and they're both bad. But I actually quite like the attempt to make it an overall plot. And I actually think the sequel elements of this movie are the best bits and it's the new stuff that kind of sucks. But it's like, because the movie overall isn't great, it makes it seem like doing a coherent ongoing plot is a bad idea. And I don't think it necessarily is. Like him going to Mathis and like the whole, this man accused me of this and that and you're going to go get him a drink and then she's like well yeah, but you got found innocent and now they bought you a villa so what do you care <laughs> like i think that's a nice snippy little bit and then like he obviously helps 
to really drive home the Vesper thing because he knew him and and he was there for it and like being there with him on the plane and like you know she died for you and she gave everything for you and all of this so I think all that works yeah I'd agree that like the sequel bits of this movie are the more interesting parts of it but it's just I think it is because both times they've attempted it it's kind of ended up with a model of a movie which Mm. I think is why people are inclined to say it's a bad idea better to make a good movie first than to make a sequel to an other good movie and so this movie's a mess but the things that <laughs> I feel like they come from like a point of view of something that they want to do are all the stuff where it's kind of like Bond reckoning with the mess of his last mission Yeah, and so it is stuff like well Mathis doesn't like like Mathis is kind of initially hesitant to kind of work with him because he ended up getting him tortured and Bond dealing with this PTSD but it does mean that like when you're watching the actual villain do things you're just kind of going like yeah but this isn't like you have no relation to this other than a kind of like you've just placed this fictional organisation on top of what the previous movie was about and told me that this is connected to it even though it's not connected to it whatsoever. I remember like a lot of this movie felt completely new because I just couldn't remember most of it like I remember (laughs) I remember the the scene at at the opera I remember Jim Arterton getting covered in oil (sighs) I remember the Eco Hotel, and I remember, like, but the thing that I most remember, and the thing that I th- thought was a much bigger part of the movie, was Bond at the end going to Russia. Oh, God. We have to put a cork in that because I have many things to say, but yeah, like that, but that's, that's, that's what I remember too. <laughs> Yeah, like, in, in my head, that is, like, the... The, the crux the, the, of emo- the movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, like, two minutes of screen time. Yeah. And it's fascinating to think it's the most sequel part of this, and it's also the bit that, like, actually resonated and stuck in my mind. It's the best scene in the movie. So, yeah, they get there, and one strawberry fields... <laughs> Forever. Yes, is tasked with bringing Bond back home. And she takes them to the hotel they're going to stay in, and it's a tiny little shithole. And he's like, "Nope." Takes oh, them to, this is my takes them to a giant hotel, and she's like, "This doesn't fit our backstory. We're teachers on sabbatical." And then he goes, "Hello, we're teachers on sabbatical, and we've just won the lottery." <laughs> he goes, "There you go." <laughs> Amazing. I really want to know who wrote that line, and I really hope it was like Daniel Craig or something. <laughs> it's kind of shitty, but it, it's so fun that it gets away with it. <laughs> I mean, again, it, it's very much like the scene in Casino Royale, where he's just like, they know who we are. I'm exactly. going to be James Bond. I'm not going to be whatever shitty cover story you came up with. Yeah, it's like, like your traditional, I'm... like, oh, well, we're so, we're going to get away with this. We're the best spies. Like, you know, your shit is old. Like, let me handle this. <laughs> Good thing they never reveal her name is Shaw within the movie because uh, it's just fields just fields and then they're like yeah. is it in the credits I think so yes yeah. it's oh poor Gemma Arterton. In a nothing role really. She is here to get murdered she is here to sleep with Bond, she is here to be covered in oil. Yeah she is here to be covered in oil in a throwback to when a character got covered in gold yep. Is this an anniversary for Bond? Obviously like Skyfall is the big anniversary but it feels like it Even. might have been Bond 50, because that Bond? Bond 50 box set came out, Skyfall wasn't out yet, but there was a space in the set to put Skyfall in there, so it was Yeah, like... Bond 50 is, is that one, because the Skyfall is 2012, and the first Bond movie is like 63, so it's like yeah. the 50th anniversary of Bond, or, or 60, 62, whatever, but like it just feels like that, in a franchise which obviously like has imagery to call back to, that particular image feels so kind of like, why I doing that? I believe their movie? explanation was that it was to illustrate that in the new world oil is more valuable than gold <laughs> you're so deep yeah he bangs her I'm having trouble finding the stationery do you want to come and help me look for it it's like okay I did enjoy that I, I okay. like not not in terms of like him bang her but in terms of just that like, he's just so on the nose and he's just like yeah. I've taken I've taken this girl who's probably like never really left England to this like really fancy hotel he I'm might so as well d- be like you want to come have some sex <laughs> yeah exactly and it's it's so unsubtle and like he's kind of like started taking off his clothes he's just there and just going like oh i'm i can't find this... a stationery <laughs> yeah like come in here and help me find it and then the next scene is the like him showing up topless to like talk to the <laughs> the guys bringing room service yeah and then he has to sleep with her again she's just here for this and they go to the party green gives his speech camille is there Bond just completely ditches Fields. There's this weird little scene where Fields like trips a dude on the stairs, 
to seemingly no no reaction at the time, but then later they will she will appear dead in the hotel room. But like I don't know, it's all just very like, huh? Like is she just is he that good in bed that she's just just, just forgoing her entire like mission? <laughs> like apparently, but yeah. <laughs> Is the, the sex brain where the dick's so good it makes you go a little bit stupid? Yeah, you, you, you're fuck drunk, but for like three hours apparently. <laughs> so maybe he's that good. But I do quite like because there's a bunch of just bullshit and an escape scene again. But Mathis like dying in his arms and him being like, "Can you stay with me?" And then he says, "Is Mathis your cover name? Not a very good one, is it?" And stuff like that. And yeah, it's just a nice tender little moment and a nice bit of continuity to just continue to like close the door on Casino Royale. But again, it looks like Bond just shot some fucking cops and killed Mathis and all of this. So we move on to an impressively dull scene. Yeah, like like the movie moves on and it's just like right. So they've left the party and now what's the next logical thing for them to do? Let's go look so at the land in a plane. Yeah, let's go look at land in a plane. Crash the plane in a dogfight of some sort. Crash the plane. Yeah, how do you make all of this so so boring? And like, uh, like the CGI skydive and all of that. It's just so boring. Gets them into a cave. They realise that they are damming the supply of fresh water so that they can. <laughs> just be the best utility company in Bolivia, I don't fucking know. Or the only option, I guess. Um, and we get Camille's backstory with Medrano, which is some heavy shit, wherein this man murdered her father, raped her mother and sister, killed them in front of her, left her alive, and burned the house down with her in it. So, okay, I will say more about this at the end, but... I guess, as you rightfully said, it is one of the few attempts to give a Bond girl, like, a through arc and a backstory and a a motive for revenge. I think it's literally only happened one other time in a Bond film. Don't ask me to say which one it was, but there's definitely one where, like, someone killed her parents and then she kills him and something like that. But it's a lot, and they Bond, and... And then they walk through the desert in formal wear, and they use the hell out of this shot. Like it was in the marketing. I think it might be the poster. It, it, yeah, it is the poster, and, and they do look good. Yeah, it's a cool visual of like them in finery, but looking so dishevelled and just walking through this like impoverished area. It's like okay, cool. Bond makes his way back to the hotel. That's that's the thing about this is it feels like it's a pivotal moment in figuring out what the story is, but it is just kind of like the movie stops. They go find out what it is, and then they end up back at where they were, and yeah. it just feels like there's got a, there had to have been a cleaner way for them to find it rather than let's fly to this one location and then come back and the plot can continue. You know, it would have been cool because I mean, like you know, M is waiting for Enfield is dead. He's disavowed. He meets with Felix, who points him towards where the deal is going down. If Felix had told him and been like, "Look, I'm not like driven by oil. I think my boss is an idiot. I looked into it. There is no oil, but you know what there is, or something like that." Like, that might yeah. have worked better because then Felix has a story going on and like looks smarter than his boss and all of that and then we wouldn't have had to do this boring plane shit <laughs> yeah the, the plane stuff is legitimately really boring yeah and... I don't know how you achieve it how do you achieve a aerial shootout and a crash and a skydive and just have it be so boring really it's don't... funny that like a lot of the stuff that we're talking about being there's an opera scene in Mission Impossible coming up there are scenes that are like <laughs> dogfights in Mission Impossible coming up there are skydiving scenes in Mission Impossible that are coming up interesting <laughs> and in the back of my mind I'm just kind of like they're all better than this movie and I like the opera scene in this movie it is good and as I said like the evidence has been mounting up for M um, that Bond is kind of just wildly murdering his way around. So she has to go to, I don't know if it's the Minister of Defence or someone like that, but I, I do like his line of what's the excuse today, Bond's legally blind. And, so, <laughs> and if we refuse to do business with villains, we have no one to trade with. There's another like, aha, look how veiled we are. He makes it back there, Fields is dead. She tried to warn him. Did she try to warn him of M or did she try to warn him of I assume Green? green. Because isn't it written in oil? <laughs> oh god, is it? Maybe. It's written in black. Uh, maybe. Like, her dying moment was to send this death. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, but. but then I will say that this... The hotel fun. chase. Oh, it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's really fun. Him, like, jumping balconies and interweaving in the staircases. Pretty fun. Pretty fun. Okay, again, it's, it's that thing where, like, the movie fluctuates between moments of, like, genuine kind of good to great kind of action sequences and interesting plot developments 
to just kind of ha- a mess of a central plot that it keeps on having to go back to and just kind of like sigh and kind of go like, right, okay, when's the next fun bit going to happen? The next fun bit would be Felix giving Britain shit for what it does to countries. Like, because <laughs> uh, he said, what does he say? Like, I'd be interested to see what South America looked like without Castro and I can't remember, but it's sort of like giving America shit for what they've done to South America. And he's like, ah, oh, coming from a Brit. <laughs> yeah, Felix helps him. He evades a SWAT team or whatever. He is pointed towards this frankly gorgeous eco hotel out in the Bolivian desert that is only for astronomers to stay in for some reason as in real life or in yeah, yeah yeah it's a real it's a real th- you can't just stay there in real life you have to be it's it's like attached to an observatory and it's only for people who are using the observatory for them to stay in and it's like but it's so pretty bond and camille storm the hotel kill everybody except green who Bond interrogates for information on Quantum, and then leaves him stranded in the desert with only a can of oil to drink. Which... And what's it, what's it, I think he'll make it 15 miles before you even think to drink that, or <laughs> yeah. whatever. Yeah. Green, like, strong-arming Madrano into taking this deal is kind of baller, where he's like, why would I do this? He's like, oh, okay, don't sign it then, but just know that we'll kill you. Like, we do business for the left, we do business for the right, we do business with, like, everyone. We will just kill you and replace you and find someone who will take this deal. Go ahead and kill me if you want, but this is all still gonna happen. And he's like, fine, fuck it, I'll sign your deal. Do kind of like that. <sighs> more and then we follow bad up with CGI the bad... explosions, more bad CGI glass breaking... Oh, I was going to go for the uh, bad CGI rape scene. Well, there's the... Which is the CGI. It's the rape scene, yes. What the ever-loving fuck is this extreme close-up upskirt thing that they do? When this receptionist, who is um, Charlie Chaplin's granddaughter, by the way. Chaplin. When she is, like, getting up off the bed, the camera is, like, zoomed right in on her crotch. And it's like, why the fuck? Did you A, film this, and B, leave it in? Um, Wasn't there a bit of controversy? Because, like, in the cinemas, it was so brief that people were just like, did she wear an underwear? Like, what? Uh, I, I don't know, but yes, we have to have more of this. It's not good. It feels like they've kind of gone like, well, how do we make the Bolivian dictator general into more of a villain? Oh, he has a partiality to raping women and killing them afterwards. Because, yes. like, obviously there's the scene earlier on where, like, he's going to sleep with Camille on her boat, but she's going to try and murder him, and they whisper mm-hmm. to him and go, like oh dump her off the side of the boat when you're done with her and he says like that's the look of fear that your mother had or whatever and like it's it's such a such a cartoonish way to kind of like well we need to make him more villainous and that way will be he abuses women because shortcut to evil rape as a tool I do kind of like Green shrieking like a wild man as he tries to kill Bond because he doesn't know how to fight so he's just like (laughs) but then it's like really confusing how he even like gets away and I guess Bond chooses to save Camille over going after Green and then like all the fire and everything it's like I guess stuff is happening but I really don't care beyond I suppose what they're going for is Camille is having to relive the trauma that like you know she almost just she saved someone from being raped the dude was probably going to try and rape her as well she's trapped in a house that's burning down and then Bond contemplates killing them both which is dark as shit but instead they escape and like he leaves her next to the hotel grabs green and just drives him for ages and we don't even know that's what's happened because it's like a seamless cut and then like he's like oh i've told you everything you wanted to know about quantum like we missed a real opportunity here for bond to like turn the tables on that interrogation scene in casino royale almost by just having this interrogation happen off screen i guess to save time but i mean but it's not the movie needs to save time no (laughs) bond and camille realize you know them say her goodbye to him is her best scene in my opinion like them sitting there and sort of contemplating the nature of revenge and like do you think they can sleep now and like i don't actually think the dead care about vengeance when he has spent the entire film on a mad quest for vengeance because someone tried to kill m it's like given what her job is do you know how many people have probably tried to kill m like i don't think she's as bothered by this as you are (laughs) and then like fucking good for her for like the way she plays it when he tries when he kisses her and she's she almost like looks at him with pity or like she's hurt by it because it's like this isn't appropriate like this isn't where your relationship is but this is the only way you know how to like communicate with women i guess yeah you you have two relationships with women either you sleep with them or they're like a mother figure to you they're the mum you don't have yes yeah like good for her and like the actress said 
that she was really glad they didn't have like a sex scene in the film because it would have made her not want to do it and distracted from her performance and stuff and it's kind of wild to me that like they were going to bring her back for Skyfall and I don't know why they didn't but yeah she was supposed to be one of the only Bond girls to return and then she's gone and then as I said my favorite scene in the movie sometime later in Russia Bond tracks down Yusef who was Esper's boyfriend and it's revealed that he is a quantum agent and his job is basically to to seduce female intelligence operatives and then when he gets quote-unquote kidnapped they can blackmail them to doing what they want as they did with Vespa and then Bond turns him into M instead of killing him and she reinstates him so yeah this is just stronger than everything else in the movie in my opinion or most of it is it intentional that it kind of echoes the beginning of Casino Royale with him like it, waiting in the apartment? Yeah, like a, it, it feels very visually like it's not shot in black and white, obviously, but no. it does feel almost black and white in kind of the color palette choices because there's a lot of snow, there's yeah. a lot of kind of darkness. Yeah. It is a very interesting counterpoint, and I do think of those two scenes as being very linked. And it's yeah. really interesting that it's two different directors two completely different settings and they've managed to kind of achieve that feel and i like that she has a love knot just like vespa's one. Oh, it's actually slightly different but it's supposed to be the same that he like just drops in the snow at the end of the movie and like that ambiguous moment where he might have killed him and you don't know if he has or not until he tells him he's like no he's alive he's upstairs and it's like yeah okay he's learning he's growing we are watching james bond evolve in this origin series uh, in front of our eyes and as you said felix replaces beam as section chief of south america yeah there's your movie we get the yeah. closing pov gunshot instead of the opening which i think they repeat in skyfall because um, it's historically the first thing to happen in the movie so i'm just yeah. confused why the person that he was trying to seduce was like they say she's a canadian agent but then she goes and ends up working for the police department and with like some fictional mystery writer ah. like, like 10 years afterwards ah. nice. castle canonical castle <laughs> yeah of course a joke as good as this movie oh thanks you're welcome so yeah it's a big old mess there's like a handful of good moments it could have potentially been good with more writing although i think the action set pieces aren't very good and those are the kinds of things that they generally have nailed down much earlier than they do the like ins and outs of the plot and the script so it I probably still would have been would be, a bit boring <laughs> yeah, i would be more high on this movie if it had like a sustained action to make it interesting mm. like the next movie we discuss the action set pieces are terrific in that movie but the plot yes. kind of a mess yeah. another movie which was kind of getting rewritten on set um <laughs> and to compare the two of them where like at least in that movie the, there is visually interesting stuff going on even whilst the plot is kind of like getting you from a to b to c you say um, i should have had a scene in the burj khalifa or... <laughs> i mean yeah i mean yeah i'd love it if james decided to start scaling the burj khalifa at this movie and go like, i need, like, to, find, I need to find the water i'm not staying here we're staying in the burj khalifa which is in a different <laughs> country in a different continent villain watch dominic green is bad. Machia yeah, like, like, Amalric is coming off Munich, he's coming off the diving bell and the butterfly. He is a perfectly good actor, but I just don't think this performance is up to snuff for a franchise this big. I think him not having any like real strong henchmen around him makes it even more pronounced. It's kind of like Doug Ray Scott in Mission Impossible 2, where like he's the only villain of note and he's not good. <laughs> like and even in Mission Impossible 2, there are like fun sequences with the villain. I think Almerick's giving a better performance than Doug Ray Scott is, yes. but this is easily the worst villain we've had since Mission Impossible 2. I think every other movie has actually managed to nail kind of like a balance between villains' performances. Like even though they're not like all the chiffres and yeah. all the rest of it, like they are still It's not big enough, it's too subtle. And I think it could work if he had some like menacing bodyguard or or, or something like because like Elvis, who is his bowl cutted like sidekick, is nothing. And they came up with this backstory for the character and like this really elaborate personality, but none of that is on the is on the screen. This is just you as an actor trying to motivate yourself to play it, but all you're doing is standing there and stuff. He's nothing. Madrano is a monster, but a complete cartoon cartoonish villain a cardboard cutout of a character like a paint by numbers like just bad just bad 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 
all over the place. The theme. Speaking of bad, right? We agree on that. Yeah, no, it's it's bad. Like it's utterly bizarre that they kind of went. You know what? In two thousand eight, should do the James Bond theme song. Two artists who've never collaborated before before this movie. Yes, the only duet in Bond history as well. Like, it's utterly bizarre. Like I can understand going to Alicia Keys to do a song on her own. I could understand maybe trying to get the White Stripes. I don't know if the White Stripes have given up at this point or whether or not this is like the first thing post. I want to say this was the first Jack White solo thing. I don't know though. I don't want to criticise a Grammy award-winning artist, but Alicia Keys' vocals don't suit this track at all, in my opinion. Like, it's trying to, like, have the energy of a White Stripes-type song, or a Jack White song, but then, like, I don't think they mesh well together as a pair. No, they don't. And, and, it, and as I said like earlier on, like when it cuts into the credits, it feels so out of place. I think the Chris Cornell song is fine. Yeah. At least like the visuals of the opening credits like fit that one, but this feels like such a total misfire. It's like, what the Chris, is this? The Chris Cornell one sounds like a Pierce Brosnan era Bond song. Yeah, like when they were getting <laughs> Madonna and Garbage and stuff like that to do the theme song. It feels like a holdover from that era. And obviously yeah. we then transition from this into who's the chart topper of the day. Yes. And so this feels <laughs> like a transitional period where it feels like they couldn't decide between Jack White and Alicia Keys one so, of whom is the chart topper the other whom is the more kind of grungy rocky yeah. person and they're like um, what if we had both but then you realise that there is an artist who they approached and recorded a demo for this movie yes are we talking Amy Winehouse here? yeah we're talking Amy Winehouse and Mark who, Watson it's like who Paul much- McCartney recommended after he declined to do one himself that would have been better. So much better. And obviously, like, she she obviously was undergoing some stuff, but, like, she's coming off back to black a couple of years before this at this point. It's like, yep. really, we should have had an Amy Winehouse yeah, Bond Amy, song. Amy Winehouse followed by Adele would have been quite the, the back-to-back of Bond songs. I also really like that Daniel Craig talked about, because there's a there was a controversy with the title and how it's like, what does this even mean? And I actually don't think it's that bad of a title or that it doesn't make sense. But he said how he wanted to avoid one that had, like, die or kill or death in it and then the song is called another way to die and it's like oh cool thanks thanks for undercutting me there and i don't actually necessarily think that all of the songs have to say the name of the film and sometimes that's quite hard but yeah it's it's not a good song female agency camille they try they try but does kind of immediately whisk her away unconscious and then hand her to a complete stranger not good. The degree of horror in her backstory, I think, is too much. Like, I don't like this trope of the only way to, like, make a woman compelling is to fill her backstory with rape and abuse and trauma and, like, this idea that women exist purely for sex and pain. None of that. I, mean, that's I, think I, much good. More, like, I much more appreciate the relationship between Vesper and Bond in yeah. Casino Royale because it is the, like, the two of them doing the psychological profile of each other. Yeah. That feels like two people who are on a loving playing field, whereas this movie, it feels like we have walking trauma mm-hmm. incarnate who is here to be a way for Bond to look at himself from the outside mm-hmm. and deal with his own trauma from his past relationship. But that's literally what her character purpose is. Like, she isn't there to work yeah. through her trauma. She's there to work through her trauma for Bond. Yes. Which is what makes it fall so flat. Exactly, yes. And, you know, I don't think they do enough to say, like, like we know a lot about who she was. We don't really know a lot about who she is right now. And, like, exploring more of how she is involved with Green and, like, she's using Green to get to the general i know that but yeah it's just a bit wishy-washy and like yeah just to to define her entirely by all of that versus vespa where my only complaint with vespa is that they didn't like just meter out the degree of the intensity of their love just that little bit of like they bang and then when they've been on holiday together for however long then he says shit like all i have is yours like that's my only complaint is that line comes so incredibly quickly but they have incredible chemistry and she's a good character whereas i just think olga Kirilenko is giving a good performance but there's just not really much to her for that to come through and it's just uh, i hate that she is defined by all that trauma yeah i think i think it says a lot that vesper's character still looms very very large over this movie despite the fact she's literally not in it like there's not even like a flashback scene mm. of the two of them together and it, it is generally impressive like Eva yeah. Green probably is like if you're doing like an all time ranking of Bond girls she's got to she, be up there yeah. yeah she's got to be like on the Mount Rushmore of like the yeah. four of them if you have to pick like I, yeah. I don't know who you pick whether or not you do like Diana Rigg just because she plays Bond's wife yeah. or yeah and probably oh. you would have to do Ursula Andress just because you know coming out of the sea is the iconic Bond girl shot and everything but 
obviously Michelle Yeoh and Tomorrow Never Dies. <laughs> obviously. So Judy Dench, good? Yes, Judy Dench, always good. Always a badass. They said they wanted to give her more to do, and I don't know if she actually does have more to do than in Casino Royale. I guess she's in it a bit more. But... She actually goes to the location where the, the action takes place. True. She's in the same room as Bond overseas. They have multiple face-to-face conversations, which is better that's, than Casino that, Royale. That's fair, that's fair. And it's all building to her just magnificent performance that's coming up. Strawberry Fields, it's all bad. Uh, she is patronised, she bangs him immediately, she's ignored, she is drowned in oil, she is written off just to be another casualty of Bond and like... It feels like that's the trend though, isn't it? Like, fairly, like, you, you sort in Casino Royale where it's like, there's the one that he sleeps with and then... That's the one that the he one actually likes, yes. Yeah, that. the one who's like involved in the plot and I can't remember if they do it in Skyfall whether or not there is they do they do there's that girl <sighs> sleeps her on the boat maybe and then Javier Bardem kills her in front of him oh yes yes that one. and I you uh, don't even remember who she is and then M is basically the actual Bond girl it happens yeah. in Spectre and then obviously we've got No Time to Die which has got four female characters yeah like, and I actually don't like... know who the love interest is meant to be at this point because Lea Sado is back there's his replacement 007 who I hope they don't go there uh, yeah Lashana Lynch you Anna Diamas who feels like she She's going to be the one to sleep with him on the is mission. Is she the one that's like standing next to him? Where he's like, "Hi, Q. I've missed you." Uh, I'm not. She's she's a CIA agent, and then mm. Naomi Harris is back as Money Penny, obviously. Um, who we'll talk about more next Bond movie. Yes, we will. Can't wait. <laughs> and then the hotel concierge, you know, the nearly rape victim again, real, real bad. Also, shout out to Olga Kurylenko getting cast off the back of Hitman and Max Payne. Like that's that's impressive. That didn't destroy your career. So yes we're done with this this was not great times after we were so excited to do Casino Royale but I am very excited to do Skyfall but we will have to wait a little while because next week is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol the first of the first of our triptych of um, Jeremy Renner movies Uh don't say it like that yes there's a lot of Jeremy Renner on the horizon The only, the only actor who will be a lead in one franchise and a supporting character in another one. Yeah, if only he found his way into Bond and linked them all. Uh, what a horrible future that would have been. Anyway. Imagine if they cast him as the villain. They're just like, you know what, Randy Mountain might have just won an Oscar, but he's going to be the villain of No Time to Die. I mean, I'd certainly be there for it when Bond killed him. In the meantime, go to entertherealworld.com, listen to all the stuff we have, read some things we have. The Superhero Pantheon will have reviewed Birds of Prey, by the time you hear this real bad which is jerome and kevin's breaking bad podcast that's one episode per month they have done season one of breaking bad so far season two will be coming the beginning of march flooping the pig is still going i might have written a review of birds of prey ben and i at some point will have a new thing coming that i really need to start getting ready for but i haven't yet but that's all on the horizon until then thank you ben for this lovely trip down memory lane with quantum of solace our memories weren't lying to us this film is just quite bad right it's fine it's fine it's fine. I, I don't. I don't want to say like it's not. It's not terrible. There's enough good there that I'm like. It's just boring. This podcast will self-destruct in five seconds, as we've always said. Goodbye. <laughs> always. <then>. Don't <laughs> listen to the old episodes. Secret agent man.